Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to TLS Voices, an occasional series of readings brought to you by the Times Literary Supplement. I have been thinking over the various comparisons, good or evil, which I have seen published of myself in different journals, English and foreign. This was suggested to me by my accidentally turning over a foreign one lately, for I have made it a rule latterly never to search for anything of the kind, but not to avoid the perusal if presented by chance. To begin then, I have seen myself compared personally or poetically in English, French, German, Italian and Portuguese within these nine years to Rousseau, Goethe, Young, Aretine, Timon of Athens, an alabaster vase lighted up within, Satan, Shakespeare, Bonaparte, Tiberius, Aeschylus, Sophocles, Euripides, Harlequin, the Clown, Sternhold and Hopkins, to the Phantasmagoria, to Henry VIII, to Chenier, to Mirabeau, to young R. Dallas, the schoolboy, to Michelangelo, to Raphael, to a petit maître, to Diogenes, to Child Harold, to Lara, to the Count in Beppo, to Milton, to Pope, to Dryden, to Burns, to Savage, to Chatterton, to Oft have I heard of thee, my Lord Byron, in Shakespeare, to Churchill the poet, to Keane the actor, to Elfieri, etc., 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 the object of so many contradictory comparisons must probably be like something different from them all. But what that is, is more than I know, or anybody else. In 1824, the unpublished memoirs of a poet were destroyed in his publisher's fireplace. Lord Byron had started writing these memoirs towards the end of his life and he entrusted them to his friend and fellow poet Thomas More. Apparently, he wanted them to be published, and he had named More his literary executor. But Byron's other friends, including his publisher John Murray, decided that the memoirs were not fit for publication, so the pages were burned in the fireplace of Murray's drawing room, and their contents remained a secret. But perhaps something better than Byron's consciously crafted account of his own life survives. His letters and journals are lively, long-admired, passionate, observant, gossipy, reflective writings, speaking to the moment and to the full range of lovers, friends, family members and literary figures of his day, 
Oxford University Press has published a new selection of these letters and journals. It's edited by Richard Lansdowne, who argues that they constitute one of the three great informal autobiographies in English, alongside Samuel Pepys's diary and James Boswell's journal. While Boswell had been something of a minor celebrity in his own time, Byron's popularity was in itself a remarkable phenomenon. His best-known line in prose must be his description of the effect the great success of Child Harold's pilgrimage had on his life. I awoke one morning and found myself famous. Child Harold was followed by a sequence of remarkable narrative poems, The Bride of Abydos, The Siege of Corinth, The Corsair, and, less happily, Byron's marriage, separation and departure from England in 1816. Here he writes in a lordly way to James Hogg on literary matters. This is, as Richard Lansdowne notes, Byron's only letter to a working-class intellectual, and it shows. You are mistaken, my good fellow, in thinking that I, or indeed that any living verse writer, can write as well as Milton. Milton's Paradise Lost is, as a whole, a heavy concern, but the first two books of it are the very finest poetry that has ever been produced in this world, at least since the flood. For I make little doubt Abel was a fine pastoral poet, and Cain a fine bloody poet, and so forth. But we, nowadays, even we, you and I, know no more of their poetry than the brutum vulgus, I beg your pardon, the swinish multitude, do of Wordsworth and Pye. Poetry must always exist, like drink, where there is a demand for it. Shakespeare's name, you may depend on it, stands absurdly too high and will go down. He had no invention as to stories, none whatever. He took all his plots from old novels and threw their stories into a dramatic shape, at as little expense of thought as you or I could turn his plays back again into prose tales. That he threw over whatever he did write, some flashes of genius, nobody can deny. But this was all. Suppose anyone to have the dramatic handling for the first time of such ready-made stories as Lear, Macbeth and so on, and he would be a sad fellow indeed if he did not make something very grand of them. As for his historical plays, properly historical I mean, they were mere redressings of former plays on the same subjects, and in 20 cases out of 21, the finest, the very finest things, are taken all but verbatim out of the old affairs. You think no doubt that a horse, a horse, my kingdom for a horse, is Shakespeare's. Not a syllable of it. You will find it all in the old, nameless dramatist. I, for my part, think Shakespeare's plays might be improved, and the public seem to think so too, for not one of his is or ever has been acted as he wrote it. Byron's correspondence also shows him struggling to come to terms with developments in his personal life, his debts and wrangles over his estate, his writing and responding to criticism, and much else. Here he gives Thomas More a glimpse of his work as a member of the committee of the Theatre Royal, Drury Lane. I say so much about the theatre because there is nothing else alive in London at this season. There is a play before me from a personage who signs himself Hibernicus. The hero is Malachi, the Irishman and king, and the villain and usurper Tagesius, the Dane. The conclusion is fine. Tagesius is chained by the leg to a pillar on the stage, and King Malachi makes him a speech not unlike Lord Castlereagh's about the balance of power and the lawfulness of legitimacy, which puts Tagesius into a frenzy, as Castlereagh's would if his audience was chained by the leg. He draws a dagger and rushes at the orator, 
but finding himself at the end of his tether, he sticks it into his own carcass and dies, saying he has fulfilled a prophecy. Now, this is serious, downright matter of fact, and the gravest part of a tragedy which is not intended for burlesque. I tell it to you for the honour of Ireland. The writer hopes it will be represented, but what is hope? Nothing but the paint on the face of existence. The least touch of truth rubs it off, and then we see what a hollow-cheeked harlot we have got hold of. I am not sure that I have not said this last superfine reflection before, but never mind, it will do for the tragedy of Tegesius. He kept his journal more intermittently, but it's no less interesting for that. It offers reflections on his own celebrity and his broad view of the world, sometimes in the same paragraph. Whenever an American requests to see me, which is not unfrequently, I comply. Firstly, because I respect a people who acquired their freedom by firmness without excess. And secondly, because these transatlantic visits, few and far between, make me feel as if talking with posterity from the other side of the sticks. In a century or two, the new English and Spanish Atlantides will be masters of the old countries in all probability, as Greece and Europe overcame their mother Asia in the older or earlier ages, as they are called. By the time Byron wrote those words in 1822, he was England's most notorious exile, and he reported energetically on these itinerant years in letters to friends such as Moore, Murray, and here in a letter of May 1816 to John Cam Hophouse. At Ghent, we stared at pictures and climbed up a steeple 450 steps in altitude, from which I had a good view and notion of these low countries. Next day we broke down by a damned wheel pertinaciously refusing its stipulated rotation. This becalmed us at Locristi, two leagues from Ghent, and obliged us to return for repairs. At Locristi, I came to anchor in the house of a Flemish blacksmith and saw something of Locristi, low country, low life, which regaled us much. Besides it being a Sunday, all the world were in their way to mass and I had the pleasure of seeing a number of very ordinary women in extraordinary garments. At Antwerp, we pictured, churched and steepled again, but the principal streets and basson pleased me most, and the foundries, etc. As for Rubens, as for his works, and his superb tableau, he seems to me, who, by the way, know nothing of the matter, the most glaring, flaring, staring harlotry impostor that ever passed a trick upon the senses of mankind. It is not nature. It is not art. With the exception of some linen, which hangs over the cross in one of his pictures, which, to do it justice, looks like a very handsome tablecloth. I never saw such an assemblage of florid nightmares as his canvas contains. His portraits seem clothed in pulpit cushions. By autumn, Byron had reached Italy, and from there he could write to his half-sister, Augusta Lee, of excursions into the Swiss mountains from the Villa Diodati and the westward journey. Before ascending the mountain, went to the torrent, seven in the morning, again, the sun upon it forming a rainbow of the lower part of all colours, but principally purple and gold, the bow moving as you move. I never saw anything like this. It is only in the sunshine. Ascended the Vengen Alp. At noon, reached a valley near the summit, left the horses, took off my coat and went. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. To the summit, 7,000 feet, English feet, above the level of the sea, and about 5,000 above the valley we left in the morning. On one side, our view comprised the Jungfrau with all her glaciers, then the Dent d'Argent, shining like truth, then the little giant, the Kleiner Eiger, and the great giant, the Grosser Eiger, and last, not least, the Wetterhorn. The height of the Jungfrau is 13,000 feet above the sea and 11,000 above the valley. She is the highest of this range. Heard the avalanches falling every five minutes nearly, as if God was pelting the devil down from heaven with snowballs. From where we stood on the Wengrenalp, we had all these in view on one side. On the other, the clouds rose from the opposite valley, curling up perpendicular precipices. Like the foam of the ocean of hell during a spring tide, it was white and sulphury and immeasurably deep in appearance. The side we ascended was, of course, not of so precipitous a nature, but on arriving at the summit we looked down the other side upon a boiling sea of cloud dashing against the crags on which we stood, these crags on one side quite perpendicular, stayed a quarter of an hour, began to descend, quite clear from cloud on that side of the mountain, in passing the masses of snow, I made a snowball and pelted Hobhouse with it, got down on our horses again, eat something, remounted, heard the avalanches still, came to a morass, Hobhouse dismounted, got well over, I tried to pass my horse over, the horse sunk up to the chin, and of course he and I were in the mud together, 
bemired all over, but not hurt, laughed and rode on. Arrived at the Grindenwald, dined, mounted again and rode to the higher glacier, twilight but distinct, very fine glacier, like a frozen hurricane, starlight, beautiful, but a devil of a path. Never mind, got safe in, a little lightning, but the whole of the day as fine in point of weather as the day on which paradise was made. Past whole woods of withered pines, all withered, trunks stripped and barkless, branches lifeless, done by a single winter. Their appearance reminded me of me and my family. October 13th, 1816. My dearest Augusta, you see, I have got to Milan. We came by the Simplon, escaping all perils of precipices and robbers, of which last there was some talk and apprehension. I have been at churches, theatres, libraries and picture galleries. The cathedral is noble, the theatre grand, the library excellent, and the galleries I know nothing about, except as far as liking one picture out of a thousand. What has delighted me most is a manuscript collection preserved in the Ambrosian Library of original love letters and verses of Lucrezia de Borgia and Cardinal Bembo, and a lock of hair so long and fair and beautiful, and the letters so pretty and so loving that it makes one wretched not to have been born sooner, to have at least seen her. And later still, Byron could write to Thomas More of Venetian society and more personal matters, beginning with an allusion not only to Shakespeare's Macbeth, but the quibbling of Shakespeare's editors. My way of life, or may of life, which is it, according to the commentators? My way of life is fallen into great regularity. In the mornings, I go over in my gondola to babble Armenian with the friars of the convent of St Lazarus and to help one of them in correcting the English of an English and Armenian grammar which he is publishing. In the evenings, I do one of many nothings, either at the theatres or some of the conversaciones which are like our routes, or rather worse, for the women sit in a semicircle by the lady of the mansion and the men stand about the room. To be sure, there is one improvement upon ours. Instead of lemonade with their ices, they hand about stiff rum punch, punch by my palate, and this they think English. I would not disabuse them of so agreeable an error. No, not for Venice. The day after tomorrow, tomorrow being Christmas Day, the carnival begins. I dine with the Countess Albrizzi and a party and go to the opera. On that day, the Phoenix, not the insurance office, but the theatre of that name, opens. I have got me a box there for the season, for two reasons. One of which is that the music is remarkably good. The Contessa Albrizzi, of whom I have made mention, is the Distal of Venice. Not young, but a very learned, unaffected, good-natured woman. Very polite to strangers, and I believe not at all dissolute, as most of the women are. She has written very well on the works of Canova, and also a volume of characters, beside other printed matter. She is of Corfu, but married a dead Venetian, that is, dead since he married. My flame, my Donna, whom I spoke of in my former epistle, my Mariana, is still my Mariana, and I, her, what she pleases. She is by far the prettiest woman I have seen here, and the most lovable I have met with anywhere, as well as one of the most singular. I believe I told you the rise and progress of our liaison in my former letter. Lest that should not have reached you, 
I will merely repeat that she is a Venetian, two and twenty years old, married to a merchant well-to-do in the world, and that she has great black oriental eyes, and all the qualities which her eyes promise. Whether being in love with her has steeled me or not, I do not know, but I have not seen many other women who seem pretty. The nobility, in particular, are a sad-looking race, the gentry rather better. And now what art thou doing? What are you doing now, O Thomas More? What are you doing now, O Thomas More? Sighing or suing now, rhyming or wooing now, billing or cooing now, which Thomas More? Byron's affair with the Venetian Mariana gave way to his last and greatest love, Countessa Teresa Guccioli, for whom he left this note in a copy of Madame de Stael's novel Corina. My dearest Teresa, I have read this book in your garden. My love, you were absent, or I could not have read it. It is a favourite book of yours, and the writer was a friend of mine. You will not understand these English words, and others will not understand them, which is the reason I have not scribbled them in Italian. But you will recognise the handwriting of him who passionately loved you, and you will divine that over a book which was yours, he could only think of love. In that word, beautiful in all languages, but most so in yours, amor mio, is comprised my existence here and hereafter. I feel that I exist here, and I fear that I shall exist hereafter. To what purpose you will decide. My destiny rests with you, and you are a woman 19 years of age, and two years out of a convent. I wish that you had stayed there with all my heart, or at least that I had never met you in your married state. But all this is too late. I love you, and you love me. At least you say so, and act as if you did so, which last is a great consolation in all events. But I more than love you, and cannot cease to love you. Think of me sometimes when the Alps and the ocean divide us, but they never will unless you wish it. Byron's last adventure is also amply represented in the new Oxford edition of these personal writings. On August 3rd, 1823, he arrived in Cephalonia with hopes of helping to unite an independent Greek nation. He went sightseeing and seems to have developed a crush on a teenage boy. Unwisely, he also established his own personal brigade and ran into the inevitable difficulties of dealing with so many disparate factions. He fell ill and died on April 19, 1824. A blow to the Greek cause, but one that ultimately, it seems, helped them to unite in his honour. He had known the difficulties that confronted him in Greece, as this final journal extract shows. As I did not come here to join a faction, but a nation, and to deal with honest men, and not with speculators or peculators, charges bandied around daily by the Greeks of each other, it will require much circumspection for me to avoid the character of a partisan, and I perceive it to be the more difficult, as I have already received invitations from more than one of the contending parties. One should not despair, though all the foreigners that I have hitherto met with from amongst the Greeks are going, or gone back, disgusted. Whoever goes into Greece at present should do it as Mrs Fry went into Newgate, not in the expectation of meeting with any special indication of existing probity, but in the hope that time and better treatment will reclaim the present burglarious and larcenous tendencies which have followed this general jail delivery. 
When the limbs of the Greeks are a little less stiff from the shackles of four centuries, they will not march so much as if they had jives on their legs. Turn to this week's TLS, where we take a look at Noel Malcolm's new book about knights, Jesuits and spies in the 16th century Mediterranean world, as well as the seven lives of John Maynard Keynes. Henri Astier considers the clashing diagnoses of France's social ills. Alex Clark writes about the new novel from Kate Atkinson, and we look once more at Tracy Emin's bed. This week's issue also includes poems by Kate Bingham and Ruth Fainlight, and it's available for free on our app via iTunes and the Amazon App Store. To find out more about the TLS, go to the-tls.co.uk. The TLS, life in every word. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.